Anthony Ragler is an artist known for using persona and body movement to attack social stigmas. He was a member of the 2014 NYC Urbana Slam team that placed second at the 2014 National Poetry Slam, as well as the 2013 Urban Word Slam team that placed third internationally at the Brave New Voices Festival. Anthony has performed at numerous venues, including the United Nations, New Yorican Poets Cafe, Symphony Space, Lincoln Center, and the Apollo Theater. On Tuesday, January 6, 2015, he was the featured poet at Nitty Gritty Slam number 85 at the Low Beat in Albany. So when I was five, I almost drowned in sea. First thing I learned that day is that fear tastes just like salt. My overly religious grandmother, who always had a Bible verse caught in the back of her throat at the worst possible moment, yanks me out of the water and then says, Anthony, you're a miracle. You know this is how baby Moses was found, right? And then she starts joking that my life is now destined for saving people. So two weeks later, I pretended to be sick on the day of my would-be baptism to her church because I'm afraid of drowning. To this day, I have not been baptized. But everyone expects me to be this anchor chasing the ocean floor. I'm the oldest of six siblings. I've learned to be the best friend, the parent, the diary, the patriarch, the example, and the scapegoat. My mother expects me to keep this steel-fixed smile, holding everything in place while I am free-falling. An anchor is never given a chance to breathe. I was only 18 years old when my daughter was born. She is a fragile little sailboat. And just like everything else in my family, I have to keep her floating. I hold her the way a window would hold the imprint of a raindrop. Between her and her mother, I realize that every choice I make for the rest of my life could sink all three of us at once. I feel like I'm just treading water. I'm not allowing myself to drown yet. I'm too far from a worthy obituary to do so. In anger, no matter how far it must fall will only serve one purpose, and it isn't allowed to bring anything else down with it. No one ever thanks an anchor for sacrificing itself for their greater goods. On rare occasions like birthdays and graduations, my family tells me they appreciate me, and I say thank you. I'm just trying to make you proud. What I mean to say is, I am an anchor that is trying to be your lighthouse. You know, I wonder if Moses ever got tired of people mistaking his struggles for prophecy. Maybe he just led the Jews because he knew that's what everyone expected of him, to be a savior before a person. Maybe parting the Red Sea was just his way of avoiding baptism. They say water is supposed to be this sign of purity, but to me, it's a sign of erosion. All of those things that try and break me down. So I stand firm while all the problems I've avoided wash back to shoreside. Make a staff out of this spine and separate the ocean from its salt. My responsibilities from my fears. Mm -hmm. 
My mother tells me I look like the reason she started drinking. <laughs> when my father left, she searched through his things to find traces of the next woman. A blonde strand of hair as if he were saying, I don't need you anymore. She found her first bottle of Hennessy and started chasing my father down to the bottom of it. These days, I can't tell my mother's sober from her slumber, and all I want is to be the reason that she wakes up again the day, the day of my first semester of college. We're driving, and she is a slur of tears and alcohol telling me that this is everything she's ever dreamed of, that now I'm becoming more than my father ever was because I'm leaving, but unlike him, I'm leaving for all of the right reasons. In the car, I fall asleep on the lullaby of my mother's approval. But when I wake up, I'm in a hospital bed. My neck is broken in four different places. The doctors wheel me over to my mother where her bruises are the darkest shades of whiskey. She has so many nerve damages that I can see the last nerve she's claimed. I have always gotten on tubes running through her entire body. My mother's injuries are so severe they make mine look like nothing more than a scraped knee and I'm afraid of her dying before hearing how much I truly love her the day that she wakes out of her coma and returns home. We see that her left arm is paralyzed. But she is sober now and full of fight. She says this arm is a deadbeat father, hasn't held her back before, and she does not plan on starting today, so our family does everything to make sure she never has to move a muscle again. But my mother always needs someone to need her. She loves us by cooking an entire Thanksgiving dinner with one arm in the day that I tell her I'm ready to move into my own place. She says that I am just like my father. I tell her that this is different, that this is me leaving for all of the right reasons to be the man that she's raised me to be, but all she can hear is, I don't need you. I don't feel like her proud son. I feel like a chaser to her next shot. The night of the verdict. We were parading through the East Village streets before we got the phone call. Silenced by the hush of a gathering through summer air we trudged our way to the L train, which on this night means luck, or lost, or lives, or law, as in we are lucky we have not lost our lives. The law will not protect us. All that matters now is suspicious because to them, suspicious is the gap between innocent and fumable. My brother is screaming that we as black people are an endangered species. He only sees red and thinks that this is the shadow of the target on his back. The white people on the train look at us like we are rambunctious bullets. They know not how far we're willing to take this protest. But here, I'm the only one not outraged. Because quite honestly, I ain't expecting nothing different. Post-racial society 
It's just a pretty way of saying hope for justice, but don't expect it. The older black man says, y'all know the way to avoid being mistaken for hoodlums is to present yourselves better. Stay in school. And for God's sake, stop sagging your pants. As if we were the ones responsible for our own deaths. He is good intention, but horrendous delivery. Telling 12 black youth that the system isn't working against them, but they wouldn't call this a system if it wasn't already working. Being black in America is just like being a grizzly on hunting grounds. Everyone is afraid of our claws, but claws won't do a thing against these bullets. So we drag our bodies out of the train where death weighs each and every one of us down. So one of our friends says, to keep it real with you, man, I just came here to party tonight. And I'm still just trying to have a good time. So we go out and we buy drinks. Like that could numb this numb that we already aren't feeling. The night is plantation humid. And my friends are mahogany car flats dancing their targets off into a drunken slur. This night has made lovers out of us lone wolves to us. This is the black Y2K. This, this is the beauty of my people. How we turn tragedy into celebration every single time. Something outside is trying and succeeding at killing us, but this is the only way we know how to mourn our brother's death. So no, this is not the end of our lives. It's the beginning of the fight for them. For Hudson Mohawk Magazine, I'm Tom Francis.